Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top shelf equipment and designers for broadcast concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know this is your most important event. It is their goal to make sure you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large Podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting, as well as columnist for PLSN Magazine. I hope you're all enjoying listening and reading. So I got the news just yesterday that we are in another 28-day lockdown. I think we have a curfew. We, uh, I think I'm allowed to go pee and go cook my own food. And that's about it. I really don't see how anybody can go be doing any entertainment during this time. So it's uh, it's basically these podcasts and hanging out with my kids that's keeping me sane these days. And my wife and I were having a, a decent discussion the other night about how how terrible, how awful everything is, and uh, the state of the world in constant turmoil. And then, we, but then after that, we kind of looked at ourselves like, wow, at least. At least we're healthy. Uh, you know, at least the, the kids haven't broken their arms lately, which had to take us to the hospital. And uh, we were very grateful for at least that amount of a, a base level healthiness. You know, we're, we're at least in a, in a place where we can cook our meals and we can do all this stuff. And it kind of started to make me think about what it would be like to be in a hospital in the middle of a pandemic, because my wife and I, well, like if, if I even, if the taste of my food is even slightly off, I'm like, ah, I've got it. I, I, I know it. And she's like, no, I just didn't add salt. You're like, oh, okay, well maybe it was just bland food then. Or if I have like a long headache or something, I'm like, ah, oh, I've got it. I clear it's, I, I shouldn't have gone to the, the supermarket or something. So I thought maybe I would reach out to a friend of mine who could have like a, a unique perspective on that being in hospitals in the middle of a pandemic and doing some amazing things in the middle of a pandemic other than work, unfortunately. So I hope you guys will help me welcome Luke Edwards. He is a creative director and lighting designer out of the UK. Thank you so much, Luke, for joining me today. No worries. Thank you for having me. So I've been following you and uh, this is not a slow time for you in, in your life. Like this, there's a lot of stuff happening in your world. <laughs> that are not work related, unfortunately. A lot of stuff going on. Yeah. This 2020 is just a year that keeps on giving, unfortunately. <laughs> so so let's go, let's start with the good news. And that is that you got married in the midst of a worldwide pandemic. Yeah. So we were supposed to get married last August. So August 2020. Um, that was got cancelled and postponed because of COVID. Um and then we made plans to get married August 2021. Uh, but then after receiving the diagnosis of having quite a large and severe brain tumor, we decided to get married um, as soon as possible. Okay. Which, uh, which for us was 
because I, I don't know about in the states but in england you have to like announce that you're getting married and then have to leave 21 days legally for anybody to show any objections that you're married i ha- i did not know that how does that yeah, how does do so you have to announce to to your family or to the state it's a bit of you're... a it's a bit of a weird rule that sounds like a old, very old tradition yeah it's basically the like so you can't like marry a second person or okay like, anything like that so you so we like the, the local government like has to announce that oh this person and this person are getting married and then you've got 21 days uh to give your object it's basically like putting planning permission outside your door <laughs> and then getting your neighbor seeing if your neighbors want to object to you uh building the outhouse or whatever so uh so we have to wait before we could get married which i thought was quite funny yeah luke's announcement has been down at the courthouse for 21 days now why did nobody object yeah right yeah so if you did want to object too late we're married like you can't legally make an objection now (laughs) (laughs) congratulations megan looks like a wonderful wonderful woman yeah she um throughout throughout all this uh she's been incredible and i think you know she she basically was like look we were supposed to get married if i'm gonna fight this brain tumor with you i'm doing it as your wife not your girlfriend and like you've got to commend her for that because like you know by marrying me now she's actively choosing adversity like she's actively choosing the hard path like the next few months for me are not going to be easy like you know the rest of 2020 or what 2020 was like seems so easy now like having to look at you know having brain surgery and recovery potential chemo or radiotherapy then becoming, if I do need chemo or do need radiotherapy, becoming immunocompromised in the middle of a pandemic if vaccine. Like, so she by marrying me, she's actively chosen adversity. And like, I think, what more do you want in a partner that actively chooses to stick by your side when times get difficult? Well, that's true love. That uh, true love. In the uh, in the Wesley Princess Bride way, that's true love right there. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Oh, I count myself very lucky to have a special woman. I know a lot of people in our industry who weren't touring at one time and then they got married and then they started touring. They could always throw that accusation at, well, you knew what you were getting into. And uh, some people can uh, kind of sidestep that one, but uh, Megan has no possibility of sidestepping that one. She knew exactly what she was getting into in this case. Yeah, there's there's no real way of getting around this. Like, <laughs> this is happening. <laughs> there's no way that... I mean, funnily enough, when we first found out the news, um, she just kept looking at the scans to make sure there wasn't someone else's name on the scan, just to, to check that it was definitely me that had the brain tumor and that the doctor wasn't making a mistake or anything. But, um, yeah. Like uh, it's great to have the, with that attention to detail on your side. Very much so, very much so. But we went for subsequent scans and they still found the same thing. So, like, <laughs> yeah, there, there was no getting around. There was no getting around this before we got married. So she, yeah, she's actively choosing. She's actively choosing adversity, which, like I said, like having having a partner that actively chooses to make a lifelong commitment to you whilst you're going through what most probably for me will be the most traumatic thing I ever go through is like that special that's that's yeah 
Wow. So now that we're past the, the, the lovey mushy part, let's get into the tougher part to talk about. Like, how did you, what was your first inclination that this was happening to you? Well, so it, it's funny how like certain dates are now like without, you know, burnt into my memory without too much of a insinuation there. Like I think it was the 26th of October. I had a seizure whilst I was asleep um like full-on body shaking completely unconscious you know i fell out of bed megan caught my head so i didn't hit my head on the bedside table um bruised a bunch of ribs and stuff on the way down i stopped breathing for a few minutes like so i was out cold i was pale as a ghost my lips were blue i wasn't breathing you know megan afterwards said that like she thought i was dead like or, or dying like she thought this is like this was it so anyway then you know yeah ambulance crew arrived took them about 45 minutes to get me back to being conscious again because i don't know if you know but if you have a seizure all the connections in your brain kind of just stop and like your brain has to repair all the connections it's, it's basically like getting a short circuit and then you having to like flick every single breaker back on in your house so like, oh, like the oven isn't working. So yeah, because that break has not been switched on. So it's the same with your brain, really. So it kind of, all the breakers get flicked off and then they get turned back on one by one, but that can take five minutes up to an hour. That's so, a great analogy. Yeah, right. Like, so we just thought like, oh, you know, it's been a really stressful year. I had to go, so I went to a neurologist and they were like, oh, we need to do a CT scan of your head and we need to do like an EEG, like measure brainwave activity. I remember going to the EEG and then the person doing it and she was like, oh, we see this all the time. People go through a really stressful time in their life. They have one seizure and then that's kind of, that's, that's kind of it. So like both Megan and I were not, we were not geared up for this news at all. Like, cause everything that we were hearing was like, Oh, it's most likely stress. And then I remember sitting in the doctor's office and obviously with the COVID restrictions, Megan wasn't allowed to come into the hospital with me. Cause obviously they're trying, to, uh, they're trying to, but anyway, right. so the doctor kind of broke the rules and was like, this is a neurologist. It was like, I need you to, I need you to call your wife in here. Or at that point, my girlfriend, because we weren't actually married yet. And like that moment, I was like, I know what you're going to tell me. Because for you to break the COVID rules, like you're not, this is not just you telling me I've got epilepsy or any other seat. Like, I, I like, he didn't need to say the words. Like, I immediately knew what the next word was out of his mouth was going to be. He and, definitely wasn't going to say, take two of these and call me in the morning. Yeah. Or, or like take two of these and I'll see you in 12 months kind of thing. Right? right. So, and I remember sitting there going, well, I need you to tell me before, like before Megan comes in, like I need, I, I need, like I'm just, just, you know, just give it to me, give it to me bluntly. Don't wrap any cotton wool around it just yeah and then he showed me the scan and there it was like this tennis ball sized abnormality in my and it doesn't funny enough it doesn't take a brain surgeon to see it to look at a brain scan and go well that's normal and that's not so it may as well be like that's a that's a data strobe in my head that doesn't belong there yeah right so then megan comes in she's still thinking like oh 
uh, it's just going to be epilepsy and she needs to be told what to do. So yeah, like it's complete, like for both of us, I think it was just complete disbelief and just complete like, it's also strange because like, I don't really have any other symptoms. So for something like for me, well, it's very difficult to compute, like there's something seriously wrong with me, yet I'm going about my daily life as much in as much normality as is possible with COVID right now. So to try and then like mesh the two together, like seeing the scan and what my life actually is, because at that point, the only side effect I had was the seizure. And that's the first seizure I've ever had in my entire life, right? So to try and make sense that there is something seriously wrong whilst I'm still walking around normal is, is quite a hard thing to do. Oh man. I would imagine with a brain tumor, there's nothing, we don't know anything about those. We don't know what caused them. We don't know how to get, we, we have a, a small idea of how to get rid of them, but some quite often the, the side effects are worse than the way you're feeling right now you seem perfectly capable perfectly able-bodied yeah like if i if i hadn't told you you wouldn't have known right no no so, I, I wouldn't so like there's looking back now there's been a few things like i think in in january there was like a, a few weeks where i was feeling every time i stood up i felt like i was going to black out um, and I did go for the doctor for that. They thought it was my heart, but then they checked my heart out and it cleared up. We didn't think anything of it. Um, there's been slight changes in personality, which is very normal with brain tumors because uh, it kind of, uh, so like, you know, being a bit more irritable, like having a short diffuse, stuff like that. And then I think the other thing that, that I haven't, noticed as much but megan has is that i lose like lose words sometimes and sometimes it's more prevalent than other times so and and the moment i notice it and, and this it, this is where it becomes really frustrating so you know when you're looking for a word and it's on the tip of your tongue and but you don't know quite what the word is but it's right there the way I experience this now as a side effect of the tumor is I know exactly what the word is, but for some reason I can't get it out. And that is so frustrating because I know what the word is. My brain is telling me this is the word you want to speak, but for some reason it's just not coming out. And that's like apparently also very normal and typical of like, especially where it's where it is. So it's it's um, right on top of uh, speech and movement of my speech and movement center. Oh, I'm sure you're very aware of where the different uh, nerve centers are in your brain now. Yeah, <laughs> very much so. So, yeah, it it's like I, I think with everything, a lot of things this year is like a lot of it I just put down to stress like it's been a very stressful year like like you know as with everyone like you know I think financially pretty much everyone struggled or is struggling or has got struggles coming up at some point like you know you can't you can't go 12 months without earning without earning proper money and and sustain that kind of stuff like you know like we we like I said you know, we had to put the company into administration because it's, you know, it was the best thing to do. Um, 
which is which is a hard call to make actually like you you've you know like for the last 10 years you know i've been building something as a freelancer and then the last five as a as a company like having to it's it's like it's basically like putting a, a really beloved pet down and it's a really difficult decision to make but sometimes you know it, it's better just to end the suffering right so like yeah with all of that happening you know financial stress losing company moving house during a pandemic like every one of these little side effects we were just putting down the stress right obviously it turns out that it wasn't stress <laughs> well that's in our nature our nature is to as as a species as a whole but as a as the masculine gender yeah, in specific we are hardwired to try and write these things off as if they're nothing we like to convince ourselves that yeah that's no big deal it was just a one-time thing yeah and i think we like we don't like ha having change happen is something that takes like active like you actively have to accept it and like most of us don't necessarily like change like we we we, we quite like being comfortable and, and and admitting that there's something wrong takes you out of that comfort zone so like you said you kind of go oh it was just a one-time thing i'm fine like because if it's not a one-time thing and you're not fine that means like in my case now my entire world has been um been turned upside down like completely so you know even to even like to the point as i don't know what the law is in the states but in in the uk if you have a seizure you automatically lose your driving license for 12 months without without fail so oh, wow yeah and it's something that the hospital um announces it to the driving license agency so like you immediately lose your license like it's okay you know. and obviously great like i don't want to be driving a car and like have another seizure and run over someone and hurt someone like right but on a personal level i hate now not having the freedom to just jump in my car and yeah go somewhere or do something especially now like because with the like the anti-seizure medication i'm on i'm very tired so like previously i would used to go walking at most probably go walking like 5k a day whereas now because of the medication i'm really i'm quite exhausted quite a lot of the time but i can't even then jump in my car and get a change of scenery because i'm not allowed to drive now <laughs> so it's yeah so that, your world is so limited right now then on top of the pandemic restrictions you also have physical and medical restrictions yeah and also like for someone that's been so independent their entire life like if it forged a path through everything like almost on my own like to now have to rely on someone else to drive me somewhere if i want to go like it's it's funny like it's those little things that actually affect me more than the having the brain tumor diagnosis so i know that sounds bizarre like no no walking uh, the dog is one of my most cherished things in the world yeah so like the other day because I, I like with the seizure i like i severely damaged my ribs and everything and i could you know i was in i was i've basically been in a tremendous amount of pain for the last 12 weeks um 
and you know, I don't know if you've ever had broken ribs or bruised ribs before, but like, no matter what amount of painkillers you're on, whatever, like, there's nothing you can do about it. It just hurts, and the painkillers might slightly take the edge off. Like, so, like two days ago was the first time I felt strong enough and healthy enough to actually take our dog for a walk. Um, I mean, and just to give a little bit of context, like we haven't got a tiny poodle, we've got a massive German shepherd. So like you can't not be strong when you're walking her because if, you know what I mean? Like if she wants, if she would pull and you can't hold her, like that's not safe, right? So yeah, so it's all those little things that you go like, oh, so the thing I really enjoy walking in nature with the dog, I now have to stop myself. Well, not stop myself. I just physically wasn't able to. When I hurt my finger or something, you start to realize how much you do with your finger, but you can kind of avoid doing those things. But when it's your ribs, that's everything. Uh, ribs or back. I mean, if, if your back hurt or your ribs hurt, that you realize you do everything with your back and ribs. Yeah, you can't stop breathing. <laughs> and breathing hurts when you've got bruised ribs. Like it's like, So then, yeah. Yeah, it's been an interesting... But it's like all the... I think like the actual brain tumor diagnosis is what it is like there's nothing there's there's nothing that's going to change that like it's there like that's not going away um i think for me like so much is out of my control now that the only thing i can control is how i deal with it which is really trying to just trying to be positive really and mm -hmm. it's very buddhist of you yeah right just being a being, just accepting what's going on and I think also, I, like, I've always been someone that fights, like, always. Okay. So, like, you know, I had I had quite a rough childhood, and like, I've I've never been someone just to go, oh, that's it, I'm done. Like, like I've always been someone that fights and pushes to be better, become better, do better. Um, so for me, when I get this news, like like for me it was it wasn't even a decision like i had no choice i have to fight this like i have to like i also and i think it's <laughs> i kind of said to my parents like i'm gonna fight this or die trying and they didn't necessarily appreciate the comment but <laughs> but it's true though it's, it's um like it's good to see that the brain tumor hasn't affected your comedy nervous yeah, sense of humor. Yeah, your exactly. sense of humor is still fully yeah. intact. And very dark, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but I think like I've I've always been someone that like I feel I feel if you've got a voice, you you have to you sh you have to use it for good, right? So, I in 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 the lighting industry, people were starting to know my name, and. Mm -hmm we with we unfortunately are on a tour uh we're in a bus accident that involved a pedestrian and unfortunately the pedestrian was hit and died as like someone that's first aid trained and i was also the production manager on the tour at the time i went out to go and see uh if i could help but looking you know it's pretty it's pretty instantly recognizable when there's injuries not sustainable with life like that's you, again mm -hmm. you be a, a, a doctor to, <laughs> to recognize when someone is beyond help and that that was traumatic for me and that trauma stayed with me for a long time but because of my personality is like okay this bad stuff has happened to me 
how can I now use this for good? So I ended up supporting, there's a charity, a mental health charity in the UK specifically for touring called Music Support. I think they're sisters with something in America, but not quite sure uh, what, what that is. Um, so I did that. I went on like TPI magazine. I did like a full two or three page spread, like center page spread on mental health. And like, for me, it's like, I kind of got a bit of a voice here. So like, let me, tr even if I only reach one person and that one person then reaches out for help. And then, I mean, being bluntly doesn't kill themselves. Then, then my voice has been used. Then my voice has been used for good. And I think like with the brain tumor thing, it's, it's, it's exactly the, it, exactly that. Like what, whatever happens to me happens to me. Right. Like I, the only thing I can do is fight, give it my hundred percent, go do the scans, make sure I'm in hospital on time, you know, isolate before I go to hospital, but everything else is out of my control. What I can control is how I deal with it and potentially inspire, inspire people in a positive way. Like, I mean, even as simple as like, I've got a five-year-old son, like what kind of example do I want to, what kind of example do I want to set for him? Mm -hmm. and, and that example is not just giving up because something's difficult. Man, you touched on something that's a, it's a really big topic. Our industry is the perfect breeding ground for mental anxiety. Uh, oh. we're, we're taught to work hard, sleep very little, eat like shit. And for somebody to get up and feel woozy is not uncommon. They could easily brush that off as maybe a hangover. Maybe they weren't quite eating just enough. Maybe they don't have enough water. Oh, I'm just a but bit dehydrated. Yeah. Yeah. It's so easy to just brush those off, but much larger symptoms can be easily disguised in our industry by, and, and, and we're, we're trained or we're taught to just brush it off and, and, you know, walk it off. Yeah. And I think my, my biggest thing for that would be like, like learn how to trust your own body. Like if you're, like if your body is telling you something's wrong, there's quite a big chance something's wrong. Like there, it's obviously a fine line because you you want to get checked out when something's wrong, but you also don't want to be the boy who cried wolf. So mm -hmm. I, it's a very difficult thing. And how how do you like marry those two up? But I think deep down we kind of all know if something's not right. And, but a lot of the time we don't want to admit it to ourselves that something's not right. No, because we don't if, like to admit that. Yeah. Cause if something's not right, your whole life's going to get turned upside down. So it's, it's a difficult one, but I think for me as well, like you want to, yeah, you want to fight and like, you can't like give up and especially for your loved ones and family and friends. Like, I mean, it's in a weird way, like all my, all family and friends have kind of said like, well, whatever you decide, like we'll support you and we'll accept it. But in my head, I don't think it's fair. Like just to give up. No, you've got too many people on your side to do that. And also like, I think like I'm too healthy to do that. Like I fully, if, if this, you know, talk to me again in six months time, maybe, but if, if, you know, if, you know, once I have brain surgery and everything else, and I have given it everything I've got, and nothing's getting better you know if you then go 
if you then go, you know, I'm kind of done fighting and I just want to live the rest of my life out without being podded and proked and everything, I kind of get it. And I just want to make a little caveat as well. And this is quite important. Like if someone has got cancer or a tumor and they decide, and they decide not to fight, that's not giving up. Like for, for them, that's a, that's a choice that every individual has to make. Like some people just want to live their lives out in peace. And like, if they decide that they do, don't want to have treatment, that's people not giving up. That's people accepting that their time has come and that they want to let nature run its course. Yep. Um, and I think for people around them, that can be quite difficult because they can, you can perceive it as giving up. Um, but you really, you know, if someone's got something that serious, you really have to, like respect their decisions and so when i say like giving up like that's in my personal viewpoint yeah for me that would feel like giving up for other people that would feel like just being at peace and accepting what's happening so i'm not i'm absolutely not saying that those people are giving up it's just yeah there's only one person who gets to make that decision and there's only one person who gets to judge that person for making that decision and then that's it's not me that's for sure that's yourself so I just want to yeah. make sure that that's a caveat. Like I'm not saying that these people are weak or giving up or like not at all. Like it's a complete no. personal decision. It, it for me not fighting at this stage, being being 30 years old, being healthy, having a kid, having got so much to live for. Like like I'm not done. Like like I don't want my time on this planet to be up yet. So therefore I'm I'm fighting. Whereas other people like they've kind of like I've, I've had enough and i'm done and and that's okay. completely acceptable and like everyone needs to make their own decision as to what and it needs to be that decision needs to be respected because that person whoever it is that is going through that has got enough to deal with already than being judged by family or friends or yeah loved ones like you, you yeah so we kind of went over how your life has changed logistically <laughs> how have you changed philosophically and emotionally is does are you still worried about being in control of anything anymore um not particularly um (laughs) (laughs) i think like 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 for me like nothing really matters anymore and that at the same time is sad but freeing like not in a nihilist way in a in a liberation way yeah absolutely like you know like oh the the grass hasn't been cut yeah and (laughs) i don't want to yeah yeah and and, and so in a way it's 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 actually quite freeing that really that like all the all the small things don't necessarily really impact me anymore like i honestly thought the worst thing that was happening to me was me losing my company like now that seems like such a small thing yeah, that happens to people all the time. Yeah, right. But like for me now, that's like, oh yeah, that happened. Like that happened. Yeah, I'm I'm still here currently. Like, like I'm still alive. I'm still kicking. Like, cool. Nice. Yeah. And I think what something else that I realized quite early on in all of this is, like, to get to the point where I am and you are, we've won every fight that we've gone through. Yeah so far in our lives right so we yeah, every single day every single one of us has had some point of adversity at some point in their life that they've had to fight to get over so like in a weird way for me it's like oh this is just another one of those things and i know that sounds really practical and pragmatic but it's kind of 
like, oh, this is just something else I have to fight and deal with. Just happens to be my, inside my own skull. Yeah, right. But it's yeah, it's not something you fight with with nunchucks and knives. Yeah. It's something you keep hitting myself in the head until it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> Probably do more damage than good than that. I'm not a brain surgeon, but I don't think that's how you do it. I don't think that's how you do it. Uh, Brain surgery is something we need to tap on later on because it's interesting. And emotionally, honestly, I I feel numb. Like, I I don't feel, I don't really feel anything. And I think in that respect, it's actually easier for me than it is for the people around me okay i think the people around me are dealing with the emotional nuclear fallout from this whereas for me it's all about practical now it's when's my next appointment when's my next scan i have to do when do i have to be in hospital on time when's my surgery like for me it's all of these like practical things that need to happen now that i'm focusing on because for me personally if i gave into that darkness right now like nothing would happen and i would and i would just give up and that's not an option so dealing with and i don't (laughs) i'm always been an advocate about talking about your emotions but that's quite difficult to do if you're not actually feeling anything and i think in my situation now, the best thing for me is to feel numb because like feeling numb isn't a, like, it's not like I'm going down the, the route of feeling depressed. It's right. just the simple fact of like, I'm neutral because I have to focus on all of the practical stuff to get this brain tumor removed. Like, okay. Uh, I want to say that the, the best way of saying it is equanimity. You're in a place of just everything's equal nothing's good nor bad it just is yeah absolutely absolutely and i think a lot of that's just to do with acceptance that this is i think for me it was very much like oh this is happening well okay what's the next step what do we do like not oh my god okay like yeah all right so in a in a cinematic way i would imagine that i imagine people who get this sort of diagnosis they realize that they have wasted parts of their lives and they're like oh well now i have to start checking off my bucket list and let's start moving forward but you're in the middle of a freaking pandemic it's not like you can fly to iceland and start checking things off your bucket list you've got but i've ticked a lot of things off my bucket list already i think like you this- have you've had a wonderful <laughs> career and wonderful life so you know i i've been very fortunate i i say fortunate it's been a lot of hard work as well it's not it's not like it hasn't just come to me like there's been a lot of hard work and a lot of you know giving up things and spending time with friends and not not spending time with friends and family but I've been very fortunate enough to be able to work a career I absolutely adore to create things for a living and to be part of other people like be part of creating something for other people's joy and just you know the amount of satisfaction of looking into a crowd and seeing people absolutely lose themselves and forget about all their worries for an hour and a half is like utterly amazing and add on top of that i've made such a good group of 
touring brothers, sisters, non-binary people, queer folk that, you know, like we've become such a family. Like you end up touring with the same people because you all end up, because, you know, like, oh, that person you tour with is now the tour manager for that band. So the crew kind of move from artist to artist. So being able to tour the world with people I do consider my brothers and sisters and they're you know being able to tour the world with people that I absolutely love and I know they love me back and then being able to visit places that in you know if I was doing any other job I would never have able to visit these places or experience the things that I've experienced like like I feel very lucky and fortunate like I've I've had like you said like I've I've had you know quit being 30 years old and kind of starting from nothing I've had a pretty incredible career so far and I've 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 luckily met some amazing people along the way and we've done amazing things together and we've seen the world together but similarly these are also the people that now have got my back and are constantly supporting me and checking in with me to see how it's going and you know, so yeah, I, I think from from the bucket list perspective, there. I mean, there's always stuff coming onto my bucket list, but there's a lot that's been ticked. I, I don't feel like I've wasted my life, put it that way. I feel like a lot has been ticked off already. It's a pretty empty bucket, I would imagine. It's yeah, but I keep filling it up with new stuff to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so for my audience who don't know Luke already, uh, one of his most notable clients would be Gary Newman, who has been very vocal about making sure that his shows are very spectacular, very interesting, uh, cutting edge technology and, and also in very rare and exotic locations. So I, I would imagine that you've been, you've been to many places that I, even, uh, the Sydney opera house is on my bucket list. I haven't done a show there yet. Yeah, that, that was pretty special. Uh, that, that, that wasn't with, um, so that was with Jacob Collier and, Again, like I, I've always liked pushing the envelope, right? And I think I was lucky in a sense with Gary that, you know, Gary will always hold a special place in my heart because he's the one that gave me a chance. He's the one that basically took this green behind the ears rookie and basically entrusted me to run his shows. You know, his his wife affectionately gave me the nickname the lighting child Uh, i was about about half everyone's age on the top um so like yeah gary will always have a special place in my heart because like he's the one that basically gave me a shot and kicked off my career and i don't i don't think you can underestimate that like and i think that's really important in terms of it's important that the young people get a chance because they might just surprise you, you know? And I think, um, you know, luckily like I met Gary at a time that his career was going back in an upwards trajectory again and he wanted to keep growing. And then he found someone like me that wanted to grow my career and push the envelope and use new technology. And, you know, my relationship with Gary, like I've always really enjoyed because of like hey gary this there's this like uh new untested technology that no one's used in the world before and we can use it on a show but it might crash and ruin everything you'll just go okay let's try it like awesome <laughs> so like you know having clients like that that actually trust trust you and want to push the envelope with you and 
understand that to push the envelope, you need to sometimes use untested technology. Like that's been a real privilege being able to work with someone like that, like a real privilege. Did Gary often come to you with a very clear vision of how he wanted his show to look, or did he rely on you a lot to generate the overall look? There, there was definitely discussions in the beginning of, of what uh, he wanted the stuff to look like, but I think the moment like the trust was built up, that for me, I felt like there was a real shift that it was basically like, okay, Luke, like, this is your job to do this. I'm not micromanaging it now. I trust you that you're going to make the look the show, like make the show look great. And that was like a real shift and a real like, for me, that was a real honor because here I was like, you know, what, what year was it? 2014? Okay. So I would have been 24, relatively green, relatively new. And then our relationship over the last six years has built up to a point where I basically draw something and design something, show it to him. And it, like he, the question is like, do you think it'll look good? And if my answer is yes, we'll go for it. And if it costs extra money, he'll find extra budget. And like he, I mean, like he's a pioneer of technology. Like yeah. he's the first person to use or one of the first people to use an electronic synth on their album. Like he's always pushed the envelope with technology, always. So, and he's, you know, even if he, like he's over 60 now, if I'm not mistaken, I hope I got that right. Uh, <laughs> um, and he's still pushing technology. So for me, getting a client like that very early on in my career was really lucky because if you've got someone that wants to push technology, you can make shows look bigger and better and it just helps, yeah, if you keep wanting to do something new, like in my, especially in design, you you can, you know, that's how I grew my career, basically, just by having, luckily enough, having a client that wanted to push the envelope and, and yeah. Did you find that that made your job easier or harder, being able to push the envelope? Did you enjoy being the beta tester for many different technological advances? Oh, absolutely. Like... <laughs> I, I, let's just put it this way. I'm not risk adverse. Uh, <laughs> so it's like, oh, someone's got to test it, right? Like, and the way I looked at it as well, like usually with new testing, new stuff comes press releases, comes the companies that are getting you to test this, they're pushing out new products. So then you're part of that. You get to help shape the technology that's being used in our industry your your name is getting pushed out to everybody in the industry so like even if you look at giving a bit of a secret away here about how i built my career but even if you look at the fact if a tall manager googles luke edwards lighting designer there'll be about 50 articles of me talking about lighting design and what products are used in shows so like it kind of validates and legitimizes like oh i'm this person and when i say i can when i say i can do this if you then go google my name there's a bunch of proof there that shows Mm-hmm. I do this so for me that's always been the case and like I've always and this is where it's key so if anybody out there is listening that is relatively new and wants to get in this industry it is imperative you make good connections with manufacturers and it's imperative that you've got good relationship with manufacturers because like we all want something new and if you've got that good relationship you'll be approached to be the person to test that something new 
mm-hmm. and then you the press and the advertising and, and let's let's like like real talk here for a second press is free advertising like if a major manufacturer is putting out articles in like tbi plsn like anything and your name is it that's free advertising yeah it just pushes it pushes your name up to the top of the search engine optimization and where well, you not, go even that like let's just say you've got three people that have like me and two other designers and we are in you know we're this like as good as each other right if I'm the first name that pops up in a Google search, that's going to be the reason for someone hiring me, even though the other two people are completely capable of pulling off the same thing that I am. Mm-hmm. So, and I think like, especially with like creative technologies, like you want to be seen to push in the envelope. Like no one wants their show to look like the 50 other shows that have just passed through the same venue right like everyone wants like and especially like with like instagram and everything now like your 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 show instantly gets compared to what was in that same venue last night yes like instantly and pictures of your live show is now as an artist a big part of your brand so what your stage show looks like in a split second which is what a photo is is almost as important as what your merch is what the record sounds like what because if something if something looks cool, people are more likely to go to want to go and see it. Mm-hmm. Even if like a normal punter doesn't necessarily understand the technology, is like that looks cool. I want to go and experience it. Yeah, yeah. It's a digital age right now, whether we like it or not. Uh, we've pretty much uh, we've pulled up the ladder. We are a digital community, and we have to embrace that. And it sounds like you're well aware of the fact that every single photo that's taken of your presentation is going to be spread around the world before you even finish the show but before yeah or before the truck doors are closed at least right or, yeah <laughs> so i guess it's usually it's usually been shared before you get backstage again like that like that's just the reality of what we're doing now do you keep that at the forefront of your of your mind are you thinking like man i got a light for every single camera that's in this in the royal albert hall it depends on what it is. So okay. <laughs> so there's an interesting discussion. If I'm doing something pop, absolutely. I am constantly lighting for camera because and trying to find the balance between what looks good in real life and what looks good on an iPhone camera is 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 tricky. Like it, it yeah. really is tricky. And I usually go down the line of it needs to look good on people's cameras but ultimately it needs to look good for the people that are in the venue paying the tickets, not someone that looks at, watch it, but watches it back on social media later. Mm-hmm. So with pop, that's a bit of a different story. Like with Gary, for example, because it's a little bit more experimental, it's usually like, for me, that's more of an experience. So that's more like, I'm trying to create an environment that everyone in the building is immersed in and, and not just, it's not just about them watching the artists. It's very much about being in the same environment as the artist because inevitably like that's what I look, that's what I see stage design as you're creating an environment for an artist to perform in, but you're also kind of creating an environment for 
the audience to experience it in. So then lighting for camera kind of doesn't necessarily come into it unless it's being filmed, obviously, for DVD shoots and all that kind of stuff. But you kind of, especially something experimental, yeah, I try and I try and look more at what environment I'm creating. But it's kind of like horses for courses, right? So like we did Rock and Rio last year and that's being broadcasted to how many millions of people. Mm-hmm. Like that's a very different kettle of fish. Like there, you have to light for camera. Right. So it's just about, you know, doing the right thing at the right time. I think in certain certain cases you have to light for camera and others you can be a bit more experimental and yeah. Yeah. So in the case of Gary Newman, do you do you include yourself in the immersive audience environment? Are you an audience member yourself? I try to see it from that way. Absolutely. Like because I kind of if you put yourself above that, you don't really know what the audience is experiencing. So you kind right. of and and like I'll walk around the venue to see what it looks like from multiple angles because like not everyone is standing you know uh, I'll do it in feet like 100 meters back straight on view of the stage yeah there's only one there's only a few people that get that view right most other people have a side view <laughs> or yeah. like some angled view so yeah I'll, I'll actively I did the same with Jacob at the Sydney Opera House. Like I walked around that venue and had a look. I did the same at the Albert Hall. I walked around, I went all the way to the top of the Albert Hall and had a look. And I kind of like look through like different things. Like, so with Gary at the Albert Hall, we also had like lasers and special effects and all of that stuff. Like I checked that they all looked all right throughout the whole venue as well not just from front of house because like you said front of house is a very limited spot like not many people get that view at all so outside of the shows that you get paid to go to do you are you a concert goer yourself um not as much as i should most probably um (laughs) I think it's a difficult one. If you spent nine months of the year being immersed in gigs, loud music, lights, smoke, haze, lasers, everything else, when I come home, that's not what I want. Yeah. Like, I want to chill out with my wife and take the dog for a walk and not go to a gig. There's certain things that I will, will try and see just because I know the production value is going to be very high. So it's not necessarily... It's not necessarily the music I'll enjoy or something like that. I just know something will be of a good quality production that I want to go and see. Okay. Uh, What's the last show you bought tickets to? I haven't bought tickets in 10 years. (laughs) 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 This is the importance of good relationships. Uh, (laughs) Get the guest list to shows you really want to go and see. No, but I think there's a bit of a there's a a bit of an unwritten rule and understanding in our industry that you 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 know you kind of guest list people you know what i mean like you kind of mm-hmm. I, I don't know in the states but at least in the uk like we kind of all know each other and i think once you get to a certain level you kind of guest list 
you get gets guest list if you request if you ask and then but then obviously the favor has to be returned if someone else comes so yeah. there's a bit of unwritten rule that there's a dance there's a dance involved of course so yeah i haven't bought concert tickets for at least 10 years although that being said we have bought um we have bought tickets for alicia keys in july 2021 at the o2 arena in london good choice good choice i would pay to go see that i've always wanted to see her live and it's yeah so hopefully that's allowed to go ahead and hopefully i'm recovered from brain surgery <laughs> so for your friends that are listening when is when is the brain surgery so it keeps getting pushed back all non-emergency operations have mm-hmm. been cancelled in the uk yeah um, so on one hand, I've got a neurosurgeon telling me we need to open up your skull and get this out as soon as possible. And on the other side, we've got the hospital trusts telling them, well, no way, it's not immediately life-threatening. So that, I mean, that's the, I'm actually struggling with that more than I am with the diagnosis. Like I'm struggling with the not knowing when everything is going to happen. Like that's, that that's like quite a struggle. But we'll see. Basically, if we were in normal circumstances, I would have had surgery already. But the problem with brain surgery is quite, obviously it's quite complex. So when you come yeah, out- Yeah, I've heard. Yeah. When you come out of brain surgery, you have to have, uh, you're on like a high dependency neuro ward. So it's like, almost like ICU plus, And you have to have a specialist neuro nurse that looks after you. And that care is one-on-one. So it's one nurse to one patient. Obviously, during a global pandemic, having one nurse tied up with one patient, that's a resource that's very, like, that's highly valuable. So it's, yeah, it's a struggle at the moment. But what's most likely to happen will be, I must probably get a phone call and go, we've got a slot in five days, like, that's when your surgery is. So it must probably won't be a long, long drawn out wait, which might be better because then you haven't got like so much time to worry about it um especially because the type of surgery they want to do is something called an awake craniotomy which basically means i will be awake and fully conscious when they're cutting the tumor out of my head oh man Uh, i'm having a moment i can't think of a word that's uh from someone i can't think of a word i can't think of a word for that mind-blowing pun intended (laughs) okay that is uh, that's the word (laughs) um i mean for somebody that loves technology and loves like anything to do with technology the fact that that's even medically possible is in itself incredible to me like yeah i mean that in my head that shouldn't be possible like that shouldn't be something like like you, you shouldn't be able to open up someone's skull and operate them whilst you're talking to them. Like it's, it's mind bending really. Wow. Um, but they keep, because of where it is, they basically keep me awake to make sure they're not removing parts that would alter my cognitive ability. So they, how, how much into detail can I go by the way? Cause I know some people would find it not particularly nice to hear. <laughs> Well, let me, let me start with a question. Like, will they be able to ask you to do the alphabet while they have uh, knives in your head? Correct. So basically they have a little electrode 
and they hold elect the electrode on parts of your brain whilst they're mapping. So you, so they'll ask you to count to ten, for example. Okay. Hold the electrodes onto your brain, effectively turning that piece of your brain off. So you'll be counting one, two, three, four. They'll put the electrode on. You'll stop counting. Once they take it off, you'll just go five, six, seven, eight. So they know that that piece to not cut out that piece. Oh my so, god. So they're effectively turning little bits of your brain off as they're doing the surgery. Um, they get you to perform tasks. They get you so this is like so they get you to write stuff. Like so, all that's happening is your head is clamped in a vice to not move, but everything else can move. So they might ask you to move your legs. They might ask you to move your hands. Um, so you're basically constantly performing tasks during surgery to help the neurosurgeon in a way like the, cause I've done a lot of like research and cause I'm the kind of people I want to know exactly how this operation is performed. Like I can't go in blind. Like I need to know, like I've watched YouTube videos of awake craniotomies. Like I want to know. Right. Okay. Um, so it basically helps the surgeon to be able to remove more of the tumor safely. So whereas previously they might leave a bit in because they're worried that it would Im impeach uh, your cognitive ability, they might now be able to take that out because now they know, because you're awake, they know it's safe to remove. And obviously you want, with the whole removal thing, you want to be able to remove as much as possible. Wow. That I mean, that's, uh, that's, that's that sounds like a tech nerds, a tech nerds. Uh, I don't want to say dream, but uh, ordeal right there. You're going to be sitting there having a conversation about brain surgery with brain surgeons doing brain surgery on you. Yeah, I mean, it, in in the same breath, it's cool as hell, but it's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, I mean, yeah, I can't like it. Can't even start to imagine like because so they put you to sleep whilst they open you up and then they wake you up when everything's open. It's like, can you imagine like waking up and someone's poking around in your head? Like, it's just, it's mind blowing. It's completely mental. Wow. Right. That basically there's a, a person playing God in your head at the moment, at the time they're, yeah. they're like for me, that feels supernatural. Like a human being should not be able to do that yet he is here we are here we are that is uh there's literally somebody who can alter your ability to do the alphabet with some jumper cables yeah basically right. it's it's yeah it's it's ridiculous but at the same time great that they can obviously but it's it's completely i mean i i want a picture I know this sounds macabre, but I want a picture of my brain because when do you ever get the chance to see inside your own head? Never. Right? Well, I, I had some mushrooms once and that kind of allowed me to have an idea, but it wasn't, <laughs> I don't think it was accurate. Like I want to see, oh yeah, I know. I know that's like, I have this like morbid fascination. Like I want to see inside my head. Like if they, I've got it open anyway, I might as well ask them to take a picture, right? I, Hey, maybe that'll be content for your next tour. Can you imagine? <laughs> I've got some mind-blowing content, Gary. Uh... <laughs> Put a nice kaleidoscope and a, and a Gaussian blur on it. It's fucking awesome. 
Yeah, imagine, imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Play with the contrast a little bit. Yeah, bring it in and out of focus. We can have... <laughs> uh, so, so what's this mind-blowing content you're talking about? Well, I took it quite literally. Uh, <laughs> here's my mind. Um... <laughs> uh, I look forward to seeing that. If Because if, nobody in the audience would get, like, clearly that's not the LD's brain. That's I mean, the LD's brain? Why would it be, right? Why would that be the LD's brain? Whose brain's that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so interestingly, there's a video online of a woman playing the violin whilst she's having brain surgery done. So a friend of mine jokingly said, oh, you should bring in an Avalite console and make sure you can carry on programming whilst they're doing brain surgery. I was like, yeah, that's probably not a bad, bad idea. <laughs> because why not? Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, man. That it's, is that yeah, is a I lot of people, news. When I tell people that, it's usually met with like like you, either stone-cold silence or people just like with their mouths open going, uh, uh, like not really knowing what to say. Like, yeah. I'm sure if you talk to Brad over at Avalites, I'm sure they could, uh, they'd be able to supply you with everything you needed for that. I mean, I'm sure it'd be pretty good press for them, like a YouTube viral, go, a YouTube video going viral across the world at Ryan designer program's lighting show whilst having brain surgery. I... <laughs> I've heard stories of brain tumors completely altering people's personalities. Yeah, completely possible. Yeah, That's something that you have to be very aware of, right? Well, I also have to be aware of like, having the brain tumor removed can completely change my personality. Yeah. Like that, like, yeah. Because like, if, if like I'm still waiting on results, like if this is a low grade tumor and it's been growing there for years, my personality traits now and why people like me could be because of the tumor. Like once that tumor is <laughs> gone, Right. It's like my like my, my wife is like, like, well, part of me loves your tumor because that's part of who you are now. Like once that's gone, my personality might change completely. Uh, which is why I believe you've given the, the tumor a name. Yeah, we've called it Bob and we've actually got a uh, WhatsApp chat with close family and friends called Bob the tumor where because I'm not going to lie, like it's a, it's a, it takes a lot of energy to update everyone. So having like one WhatsApp group that people are part of that you can just post news into and then ignore it if you want to or read all the comments or whatever, it's actually quite easy. But yeah, so we've, it's called Bob the Tumor, which I don't know why Bob don't ask. It just is a name that popped into my head. And so it's probably because it looked like a massive blob on the screen. So. <laughs> <laughs> and Bob has an eviction date that keeps getting moved back from yeah. what I heard. Yeah keeps going to court and gets his eviction date moved back it's like having the shittest tenant in the world um <laughs> well right on thank you so much i'm really glad to hear that you're in good spirits despite globally and locally having some turmoil uh, i'm really glad to see that there's a, a really good chance that we're going to see you on an ava lights sooner than later especially now they've announced their new console mm -hmm. i can't wait to see that I mean, then it's things like that to hold on to. Like, it's, you know, I don't want to plan anything big for the future because there's so much riding on recovery and, 
you know, there's so much riding on the fact that, you know, I might lose the ability to speak, for example, like, you know, there's so many, so I don't want to plan too much for the future, but it is little things like that. I was like, well, I really want to see this console and, and at least push some buttons at some point. And I think it's, it's, I'm, I'm not making any major plans for the future, but it's nice to have a few things to look forward to in the future. Well, I'm glad that you have lots of things to look forward to in the future. I look forward to seeing what you're up to. Absolutely. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for taking the time, Luke. It's, uh, it's good to hear you're in, in good spirits. Well, thank you for having me. I've uh, really enjoyed our random little, <laughs> our random little <laughs> app, So uh, It's been amazing. Thank you.